Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Harbin here with you. Well, they're still gathering money for the churches, the multiple churches, the St. Mary Baptist Church in Port Berry, the Greater Union Baptist Church in Opelousas and the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Opelousas. These three churches burned apparently by a young man who was the son of a local sheriff's deputy, three African-American churches in Louisiana. Meanwhile, a group of French billionaires have come up with a half a billion dollars to rebuild Notre Dame. Didn't they have insurance? But in any case, there's other things in the news as well that I think are you know, worth paying attention to. And by the way, the effort to rebuild the black churches is ongoing, right? And in fact, the GoFundMe page is Seventh District Baptist Church fires. Plug that in over at GoFundMe, you can find it. So ICE is probably spying on people right now. Is Donald Trump creating his own personal police force? You will recall that this is a common thing among dictators. They create basically their own palace guard, the Republican guard in Iran with, you know, that protects the mullahs. The Schutzstaffel, I think it was called, back in the day, in the 30s in Germany. Let's see, I think the brown shirts and black shirts were reversed in Italy. And so Mussolini had brown shirts as his private police force, and the black shirts were the formal ones. Is that what's going on? I mean, ICE is actually spying on people. The Daily Beast reports that they are, quote, being aided by enhanced spy powers, which came from the Department of Homeland Security, and they're refusing to answer any questions about it. The Nation magazine reported last month that ISIS tracked, this is from a piece by uh, Gabe Ortiz over at Daily Coast, has tracked mass deportation critics, right? People who are critical of the policies that ICE is enforcing. They are tracking the critics and their protests. And even repeatedly tracked an anti-white supremacy rally. This is a rally against white supremacy led by uh, New York Congressman Adriano Espelat. And this is from The Nation, quote, in addition to the event organized by Espelat, the anti-Trump protest spreadsheet lists protests and marches organized by Young Progressives of America, being spied on by ICE, 
refuse fascism in New York City being spied on by ICE. New York City says enough being spied on by ICE. The New Sanctuary Coalition being spied on by ICE. Rise and resist, which gathered the most citations of any group being spied on by ICE. Is ICE out of control? Is Donald Trump creating his own private police department? It certainly looks that way. And having his own private police force is in no way a good thing for America. I mean, this is not typically the way we do things. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has renewed his attacks on U.S. Congressperson Ilhan Omar, representing Minnesota. She's the Democrat from Minnesota, and Donald Trump saying she's been very disrespectful to this country. It's unfortunate. She's got a way about her that's very, very bad for our country. He topped off the answer by saying that she's extremely unpatriotic and extremely disrespectful to America. Well, he went to Minnesota. Trump went to Minnesota and did this rant and trashed Representative Omar, who is getting just insane levels of hate and death threats. And the folks at KTNF, our Minneapolis affiliate, Brett Johnson, Doug Paget, AM 950 is KTNF in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. They went to the rally and interviewed a few people. Here's a little clip about this person that they interviewed, his thoughts on Representative Omar. I'd like to see an island crawl in a hole and die. Why, why would you say that about a person? Any person that ignorant, stupid, obnoxious shouldn't be allowed to live. How's that? Horrible. Yeah, yeah. And apparently these people are just absolutely in love with Donald Trump. Here's one of the Trump supporters interviewed by AM 950. Yeah. I'm a big Trump supporter. Yeah. He's two steps above God. What does that mean, two steps above God? Super brilliant, excellent, does wonders for the country. And people like you don't have enough intelligence to see it. Oh, and people like you don't have enough intelligence to see it. Yeah, he's brilliant, intelligent. Meanwhile, Elhan Omar is dealing with the fallout of this. This is not something that she created, right? This is being created around her. Fox mentions her dozens of times a day and has for quite some time now. MediaMatters.org has been keeping track of this. Right-wing hate radio talks about her constantly. You know, why? Well, let's see. She's black. She's a Muslim. She's an immigrant. She was a refugee. And she's a woman. This checks all the marks, all the we hate check marks for the alt-right and the Trump administration and the Republican Party. I mean, they literally have nothing to run on except hate. Hate for gay people, hate for black people, hate for brown people, hate for refugees, hate for immigrants. Hate for Muslims. Hate is what they've got to run on. That's what they're selling. And that's what you just heard that person in Minneapolis doing, spewing hate. Yes, she should die, he says. Now, you know, she said in this speech where she was talking about, you know, 9-11 having caused some politicians in America to paint all Muslims with the brush of 9-11. And she said, you know, some people did something. And then you know, taking that out of context and implying that she was trying to minimize the horrors of 9-11, which she was not doing at all. The speech was not about that. The speech was about how hate just kind of creeps across everything, right? And how Muslims need to basically respond to that in a positive way. 
But, you know, who was it who, referring to the 9-11 attackers, this, by the way, from Mustafa Bayoumi over at The Guardian, who was it who said, quote, those folks who committed this act and failed to call them nasty terrorists? Well, that was George W. Bush. Or the American politician who was talking to a Jewish, an all-Jewish audience, a Jewish organization, and said that Benjamin Netanyahu is your prime minister. What kind of anti-Semite would say that? Oh, that was Donald Trump. Or the guy who said, Stephen Miller, his approach to immigration has no viability. Mr. Miller is well known for having views outside the mainstream. Oh yeah, that was Lindsey Graham. But Ilhan Omar is being attacked for speaking out about Stephen Miller and saying that he's a white supremacist. She's being attacked for calling out some of the right-wing policies of Netanyahu's government in Israel. She's being attacked for not foaming at the mouth about 9-11 sufficiently. I mean, Rona McDaniel, the head of the RNC, labeled Omar anti-American on Twitter. Brian Kilmeade on Fox News said you have to wonder if she's an American first. Janine Pirro on Fox News said Omar wears a hijab. Is her adherence to this Islamic doctrine indicative of her adherence to Sharia law, which in itself is antithetical to the United States Constitution? I mean, this is hate talk, right? And it's deliberately misconstruing her. And then you get, you know, uh, Rupert Murdoch not only owns Fox News, he owns the New York Post. And so the New York Post puts on its front cover a picture of 9-11 and a picture of Omar and says, here's your something, 2,977 people dead by terrorism. And what's the result of this? Well, a couple of weeks ago, or in February, Coast Guard Lieutenant Christopher Hassan was gathering guns and had put Omar on a hit list. He was planning on assassinating her. The West Virginia Republican Party puts up a poster in the Capitol Rotunda in West Virginia linking her to 9-11. And just last week, a man from Western New York was arrested for allegedly threatening to kill her. And what has she done? Well, she's spoken out against human rights abuses. She's spoken out against Saudi Arabia and its war on Yemen. That'll get her some hate from the Jared Kushner crowd, the people who are taking money from Saudi Arabia. She's spoken out against Chinese repression of the Uyghurs. That's going to get her some hate from China, I suppose. She's stood with the Sudanese people in their uprising against uh, al-Bashir. She's uh, opposed American intervention in Venezuela. Oh, my God, she grilled Elliot Abrams about his atrocious human rights record. She's the co-sponsor of the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund. She's already introduced the Protect Against Unlawful Lobbying Act of 2019 and the Federal Worker Child Care Protection Act of 2019. And most recently, she co-sponsored a bicameral bill to end Donald Trump's Muslim ban. And she only started in January. This woman is doing things and going places, and the Republicans are trying to get her killed. I don't know any other way to say it. They're literally trying to get her killed. This is so wrong. While Trump is creating his own little SS. I mean, this is this is beyond terrible. This is beyond bizarre. This is anti-American. It's not just un-American. It's anti-American. This is the Tom Hartman program. Today, we're reading from Our Women on the Ground, essays by Arab women reporting from the Arab world. And this is from the introduction by Sahafia. When I first visited Rakia Hassan's Facebook page in 2014, I was struck by her profile photo. The Syrian woman had paired a black hijab with a figure-hugging top that was embroidered with gold sequins. Her eyebrows were impeccably groomed, and bronzer contoured her cheekbones. 
It was a daring look, considering that she lived in Raqqa, the northern Syrian city that was, at the time, controlled by the most brutal Islamist group in the world. Most striking, though, was the defiant expression on Rakia's face, a defiance reflected in each one of her Facebook posts. Everything about the petite woman screamed, I am here and I will not be silenced. Rakia was a Sahafia, a woman journalist, who secretly reported on the crimes of ISIS from inside Raqqa. But she was no ordinary reporter, at least by mainstream media standards. The 31-year-old of Kurdish descent wasn't employed by a major news outlet. She never had a byline or a dateline and was never trained to cover warfare. She hadn't conducted any interviews, and she certainly wasn't impartial. She participated in an anti-government protest and openly criticized Syrian President Bashir al-Assad. Online, Rakia was fearless, even though vocal opponents of ISIS were often swiftly executed. The citizen Sahafia wrote in chilling detail under a pen name, Nisan Ibrahim, about the atrocities the group was waging on the people of Raqqa. She shared her reports on Facebook, sometimes posting several times a day. As Rakia amassed a large social media following, her friends advised her to take down the photos of herself that were viewable to the public to protect her identity, but she refused. A philosophy graduate at the University of Aleppo, Rakia was known for the personal, poetic, and somber tone of her social media posts, which were always written in Arabic. She wavered between reporting what she'd witnessed and writing about how she felt. In December 2014, less than a year after ISIS declared Raqqa the capital of its caliphate, she posted the following. In Syria, life and dignity have become two parallel lines that never meet. Rakia mostly referred to ISIS as Daesh, the acronym for al-Dawa al-Islayah, the Islamic State of Iraq and Greater Syria, which has reportedly drawn the ire of some ISIS commanders as it strips the terror group's label of its reference to Islam. Daesh has closed all internet cafes in the countryside, and most likely in the city, too, the citizen Sahafia wrote in June 2015. Without the internet, we will lose our only way of communicating. Dear God, emigration is a loss of dignity and a form of humiliation, while staying here is hell. Dear God, where should we go? What Rakia presented in her harrowing posts was an authentic account of the events unraveling on the ground in Raqqa. Those accounts came at a time when few Westerners could report from within Syria, but they nonetheless commanded the international journalistic narrative on the country from afar. One of Rakia's final posts on Facebook was also her most unsettling. I'm in Raqqa and I've received death threats, she wrote on July 20th, 2015. When ISIS soldiers arrest me and kill me, it will be okay, because while they will cut off my head, I'll still have dignity which is better than living in humiliation. Shortly after that post, Rakia was abducted by ISIS and never heard from again. In January 2016, her brother received confirmation from the terror group that she had been murdered along with five other women. At the time of this writing, Rakia's body has not been returned to her family. Well before Rakia was killed, I wondered what her story was. Why did she turn to writing and citizen journalism, despite knowing that death would be a very likely outcome of her outspokenness? Why did she choose the pen name Nisan, which means April in Arabic? How did she reconcile the identity she presented online with what was expected of her at home or by the society she lived in? Much like Rakia, scores of women in or from the Arab world and broader Middle East have quietly and courageously risked their lives to write about the coming apart of their region. These women are fierce reporters who have helped shape the narratives of perhaps the most important moments in their homeland's modern history a time of failed revolutions and violent warfare, widespread political and social upheaval, and the worst refugee crisis since the end of the Second World War. And yet, despite their access, expertise, and the obstacles they must overcome in order to do their jobs, they haven't received as much attention as their Western and often white male peers. Our Women on the Ground, this book, presents intimate and rarely heard accounts of what it's like for a woman to report on a region she hails from. 
The stories of the 19 Sahafiyat, whose essays make up this collection, are crucial, not only because they have contributed to our understanding of what is transpiring in some of the most dangerous countries and protracted conflicts in the world, but also because they intrepidly crush stereotypes of what it means to be an Arab or Middle Eastern woman today, especially in the era of U.S. President Donald Trump, the rise of populism, and the far right in Europe and elsewhere, and ISIS. Arab women are often misunderstood on multiple levels and by multiple groups. On one hand, an Arab woman may be victimized or pitied by outsiders who think her to be submissive, oppressed, or subjugated. She's occasionally boxed into one identity, whereby, for example, her Arab identity is incorrectly conflated with a Muslim one, and she is frequently exoticized or superficially celebrated. On the other hand, an outspoken Arab woman is sometimes deemed improper or an anomaly by both outsiders and the society around her. Professionally, she might be considered less of a threat than her male peers or not taken seriously, and she is sometimes actively silenced or passively unheard. This anthology is, in part, an effort to disrupt such flimsy stereotypes. The Sahafiyat come from different generations, faiths, and nationalities, reflecting the diversity of an entire region. They are writers, reporters, broadcast journalists, and photojournalists. Our Women on the Ground is the book. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one own gold Tom Harbin here with you, and on the line with us is Winsome McIntosh. Winsome is the president of the McIntosh Foundation, a member of Earth Justice's Board of Trustees, a supporter of women's and environmental issues. Winsome McIntosh is the Twitter handle. Winsome, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Nice Thanks. to be here. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. The Equal Rights Amendment. I understand that we're getting closer to ratifying yeah. this. Tell me about it. Well, it was dormant for almost 40 years, since 1982. And then about um, three years ago, two states decided to pass ratification, Nevada and Illinois. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we came into range of having 37 ratifications and only needing one more for it to become an amendment to the Constitution. And that began to stir interest again after being dormant for so many years. Now, isn't there a concern that, and by the way, during that dormancy period, mm -hmm. my recollection is that Ted Kennedy was still introducing it in the floor of the Senate every single year, religiously. Yes, he was. And Carolyn Maloney was introducing it uh, in the on house. the House floor right. every year. Right. So, but I also understand that there was an expiration on it and that we're past that expiration. How do we get <laughs> yeah. around that? Well, there's nothing in the Constitution that allows for time frames, although 
Congress can put one on. What they did back in 82 was to put a time frame on it, not in the amendment itself, but as an adjunct to it. And I'm funding a legal team, a crack legal team, that has gone back and has researched 200 years of this, of amendments, and they are convinced that it would not stop the amendment from being added to the Constitution at all. Interesting. There's no legal basis for it, really. Yeah, you know, since it was first introduced, it was in the 1970s, wasn't it? Or was it the late 60s, the first time the uh, ERA was? I think it was in 1971. 71. And it's, yeah. a, it's a single sentence, basically, that says... Uh, so simple, yes. I don't have it memorized. I'm sorry. I'm guessing I you do. may. I do. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. It's one simple sentence that basically says men and women shall be treated equally under the law. Right. And that is the key to the whole thing. Our legal system is such that the final arbiter of any kind of dispute goes back to the Constitution. And it's interesting, there's 179 countries in the world right now that have this gender equity provision in their constitutions. Mm -hmm. The United States is not one of them. And we would like to address that and correct that as well we should, I think, at this point in time. So it's for men and women. It's not just women. Right. Which raises another question, and that is, you know, occasionally you get the law of unintended consequences biting you on the backside. Does this need to be tweaked slightly to say on account of gender or gender preference or something like that so that trans people are not excluded or other, you know, other non-gender conforming people? That's an interesting question. This version of it has been around since 1923. Right. And so, you know, society has changed and you know, gender is more proper use than sex these days. But we are reluctant to change something that was actually introduced for the first time by the suffragettes in 1923. Wow. Yeah. To the extent that there might be some ambiguity there, that will you know, that's going to shake out in the courts. Of course um, it will. We're talking with Winston McIntosh, the president of the McIntosh Foundation, a member of Earth Justice Board of Trustees and a supporter of the ERA here, about mm-hmm. the Equal Rights Amendment. What practical impact would the Equal Rights Amendment have, and why is it that this has been partisan? Why is it that for the last 30 years or so, or the last 100 years, Republicans or conservatives, let's say, have -hmm. been opposed to the Equal Rights Amendment pretty consistently? Well, we can thank Phyllis Shafley for that. I was a college student when she decided to enhance her career within the Republican Party and took on fighting this issue and very cleverly was successful at shutting it down before it was totally ratified. I, you know, I just, I find it hard in this day and age for people to even consider whether they are conservatives or progressives or liberals, that you would not think of your daughter, your mother, your sister, your grandmother, as being unequal to their male counterparts. It's just a logical thing for us to agree on. And so 
my fear is that it continues to become a political football and just a scare tactic, you know, for one party or another, depending on what year it is, frankly, to use. And that appalls me. Let me tell you why I'm so motivated at doing this and supporting it. In 1966, I graduated from college. I am turning 75 in June. And in 1966, I was the only girl in all of my classes in a business school mm-hmm. and graduated with honors. And in those days, the corporations would come down to recruit for new business people for their businesses. And I could not get an interview. They would not talk to me. They wouldn't see me because I was a woman. So that was my first experience with sort of gender inequity. And honestly, you know, I went through my 30s, 40s as a mother and a wife and a volunteer, and then I went into professional life in my 50s, and I'm determined to try and help in any way I can get the Equal Rights Amendment passed before I die. Yes, so the young women will not experience the discrimination you did. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's just one example. There's tons of them out there. Yeah, you know, I started my first business in 1969, and I still remember the late 60s Ah. and early 70s. You opened the newspaper, or you wanted to place an ad in the Help Wanted section. You call up the newspaper and say, I want to place a Help Wanted ad. The first question was, Help Wanted Men or Help Wanted Women? Uh-huh. You know, those were the sections, and they were very different kinds of jobs that were being presented in those two places. Now, the right. scare stuff that is being promoted by, you know, the right wing and the Fox News and the right wing hate radio commentators mm-hmm. is that if we ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, then everything's going to go to hell. Businesses are going to go broke because the economy is <laughs> going to fall apart because suddenly right. they're going to have to start paying their female employees another, you know, an additional 20 some odd percent, you know, mm-hmm. and that Limbaugh's feminazis are going to start coming out of the woodwork, suing everybody in sight, et cetera, et cetera. Do you consider I, any of those practical outcomes of this? And, and what do you see as the no. actual outcome outside of what you no. just discussed? You know, the actual outcome, I mean, there's been Tons of analysis, economic analysis over the years, and it's you know it's common knowledge that women are paid twenty cents less than men for the same job, same qualifications, same amount of time in a job, that sort of thing. And what that does when you have fifty-one percent of your population are women, and most of those women now are in the workforce. That didn't used to be the case in 1970, but it certainly is today. And women are bringing in anywhere from 40% to 50-60% into the family income, which is needed in two-member family. Two-income families, yeah. Yeah, right. So there's an Institute for Women's Policy Research that found that 60% of women 60% would receive a pay increase if paid the same as men of the same age with similar education and hours of work. And that the poverty rate for working single mothers would fall by half from 29% to 15%. And the U.S. economy would produce additional income of over 500 and $12 billion if women received an equal pay. And that's not going to hurt corporations. We're not talking about, you know, individually a whole lot of money. But taken as a whole, 
with a 51% of our population, it truly means that the money will flow not only to women, but it'll be holistically and economically advantageous for the entire nation. Yeah. That's just a specious argument. Yeah, amen. It's all about fairness. Yep, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. And good luck in your efforts, Winsome. Uh, by the way, uh, which state are you targeting next? I think Missouri is pretty much in play. North Carolina, South Carolina, and Louisiana. That's great. That's great. We're so out of time. Let's, Winsome let's McIntosh. Hang on just a second here. <laughs> this is the Tom Hartman Program. He always steps on me. Winsome McIntosh, M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H, is the uh, Twitter great. handle. Winsome, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom, for having me. Bye-bye. Great, great speaking with you. You know, Louise and I just got back from Mexico, and uh, we took a week's vacation uh, with my brother and his family, but it was also a week that I could finish up writing this, this book on voting that I've been working on. And while we were there, uh, my brother-in-law, or my brother and sister-in-law rented a house that we all shared, and it, it, it had, you know, a, a Wi-Fi that was kind of public Wi-Fi. And, uh, you know, going to town, there's public Wi-Fi. At the airport, there's public Wi-Fi. Pretty much everywhere I was, I didn't know, you know, whether it was secure or not, but I was not concerned because Louise and I both use ExpressVPN. I have it on my iPhone. I have it on my computer. Louise has it on her laptop. I have it on my laptop. Uh, She has it on her iPad. Uh, ExpressVPN, it's one click. It secures and anonymizes your internet browsing. In fact, when we were in Mexico, uh, if it, you know, it, it would have looked to any website pretty much like we were in the United States because the ExpressVPN uh, apparently was just dropping our data and you know encrypted from where we were in Mexico right into the United States, you know, into a main pipeline and uh, completely safe, completely secure. Uh, with Ex- ExpressVPN, I can surf any Wi-Fi without worrying about my personal data being stolen, and it's less than seven bucks a month. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same protection that Louise and I have. And ExpressVPN has been rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. You can protect your online activity now and get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. This is a product. I love endorsing this product. I actually use it. ExpressVPN is something you should have. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, to learn more. And thanks for supporting our program. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Carol in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. That was a good interview there. But the reason I'm calling, well, first I want to say my heart goes out to the people of France that beautiful cathedral, that beautiful culture, wonderful, wonderful country. Oh, that thing was uh, built in the lodge. 11th century, in the, in, yeah, great. In the year it's 1000. <laughs> well, it's a, the heart and soul of yeah. that city. The reason I'm calling, though, I don't know if you had seen the rollout of the DNC. They rolled out an ad going after Trump's promises because the Trump campaign's slogan is promises made promises kept. Right. And when I heard that, when I first heard that months ago, I thought, oh boy, they just handed the Democrats a gift. Go after every single one of those promises broken. Right. And the DNC is doing that. And they rolled out an ad that I saw this morning on MSNBC with all the companies around the country showing maps, 
and cities and the names of the companies, real quick, it's maybe a 30-second spot, really well done, but all the companies that have uprooted after Trump said not one plant will be closed right. in this country if I'm elected. So what my suggestion is, is that the candidates for, you know, we have, what, 18 Democratic candidates? Right. Take that and run with it and extrapolate on it when they speak to people. You know, what happened with the stocks of that company after it relocated? I don't don't think, though, Carol, the majority of voters need to be told that Donald Trump lied to them. You know, what they're interested in is, you know, okay, we got it. You know, this guy told us everything was going to be, you know, roses, and it's not. So what are you going to do for me? Yeah, Woods, I'll tell you, you're right about that. This is a good start. I think that if there are enough promises, they can keep running these. Hopefully they'll place these by ad time on Fox News. Instead of just preaching to the converted, all of us, yeah. and yeah, outline all these promises that he broke. Although on a, on a number of occasions, Fox has refused to carry ads, uh, Democratic ads. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Even when paid for at yep. their going rate, which is probably pretty high? Yep. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah, they, well, are not, anyway. they are not a uh, benign actor, and they are not a news channel. They, they are the propaganda arm of the billionaires owned by billionaire Rupert Murdoch. I mean, it's just that simple. Fox that News simple is the they, propaganda they arm of the billionaire. Pick, they can afford to pick and choose whose ads they run. Yeah, and who they left on their television network. And I'm frankly astonished that they decided that they would put Bernie on. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the call. And we've been talking about how Donald Trump and the billionaires who own Fox News and, well, specifically Rupert Murdoch and the New York Post, billionaires who own radio and TV stations around the country, you know, billionaires who own the Republican Party, how they're all very, very happy to have us hate each other, right? As long as people who aren't billionaires are fighting. Oh, yeah, you know, Ilhan Omar, you know, let's, let's go on after her, right? She's black. She was a refugee. She's a woman. She's a liberal. She's a Bernie Krat. Yeah, go after her. And this kind of stuff is like, it's happening all across America now with this promotion of hate, essentially. You know, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just a, a naked promotion of hate by the president of the United States now. And even when the news media comes to him and says, hey, wait a minute, you want to step back from that? He goes, no, 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 no. It's, it's all good. Meanwhile, Americans are waking up and moving past the rhetoric of the Republican Party. Now, the reason why Donald Trump is selling hate is because he's got no plan to deal with banking crises. He's got no plan to deal with monopoly crises. You know, the fact that it's almost impossible to start a small business in America anymore because the big businesses, so, you know, even the medium-sized businesses are being consumed left and right. He's got no plan to deal with the infrastructure crisis that we have. He's got no plan to deal with the fact that about half of our schools have lead in their drinking water, or for that matter, just Flint, Michigan. He's got no, no plan for any of this stuff. Right? The Republicans don't solve problems. They create problems. And they create problems by shoveling as much money as they can out of the middle class into the top 1%. That's what they've been doing for, you know, since the 1960s. And it's what they're going to continue doing forever. So having an agenda that nobody agrees with, you know, how do you get elected? Well, you get elected by saying, don't vote for the other guy. You should hate him. He's different than you or she's different than you. But when somebody walks into the Fox's den, as it were, in this case, Bernie Sanders walking into Fox News, they went on the road, they went to rural Pennsylvania, they found a part of Pennsylvania that voted for Donald Trump in the last election. 
And Fox News invited Fox News viewers to come. So this was an audience made up of Fox News viewers. And Bernie laid out, you know, a whole bunch of really great stuff. Louise and I watched this. And Bernie was just incredible. Now, I understand. I absolutely get it now. And I support the decision, by the way, now now that I've seen this. I saw what Brett Baer and Martha McCallum did for the reason why Tom Perez is saying we're not going to have any DNC debates sponsored by Fox News. I get it now. Because the questions were gotcha question after gotcha question after gotcha question, trying to personalize everything, trying to go after, oh, you're a millionaire, Bernie, now you can't talk like that. This kind of stuff, right? Trying to control the frame. I mean, they were really good at what they did. And I think, frankly, a less experienced politician or somebody who didn't believe the things that he was saying all the way down to the bottom of his feet, like Bernie does, would have been eaten alive by Brett Baer and Martha McCallum. I think about half the Democrats who are running would have been eaten alive by those two. And, you know, it's not a slam on the Democratic Party. It's just Fox News is that good. I mean, to have brainwashed almost a third of America as effectively as they have, you've got to be good. But Bernie walked in there and he ate their lunch to the point that the Fox News Hardcore Fox News viewers are like tweeting rage. I mean, Brett Baer tweeted out, well, it started out, Donald Trump tweeted out, so weird to watch Crazy Bernie on Fox News. Not surprisingly, Brett Baer and the audience were so smiley and nice. Very strange. And now we have Donald Brazil. He's throwing shade on Fox News. So Brett Baer replies and says, thanks for watching, Mr. President. We'd love to have you on a town hall soon or even an interview on Special Report. It's been a while. We cover all sides. And in response to that, Brett got all these attacks. You know, Richard Savner, did Bernie address what happens to the 180 million with private insurance, the private health care companies and their employees in the medical community's stance? And last, where has this model proven successful? Fox did him a favor, not the other way around. Well, actually, it's been proven successful in every other democratically controlled country in the world, every other republic, successful democracy. Jay Aaron tweets, a tough questions asked. No, you let him skate on his Medicaid for all program. Why didn't you ask him if he's going to mandate salaries of doctors? If he'd answered yes, which you'd have to do to be honest, ask the effect it would have on the country. Actually, no, Bernie's not saying the doctor's salary should be mandated. That's not how Medicare for all works. See, this is the thing. People who watch Fox News don't understand the issues. Miha T tweets, it was nauseating to see what Bernie Sanders is tweeting about the debate. Nothing but attacks on Fox and President Trump and using the audience to say, we, the true Trump supporters, also buy into the socialism nonsense. Disgusting. How would you let this get so weird? And then another one, Fox News, this is from SB Poisson. Uh, He says, Fox News is gradually going into the dark side. I was shocked to see them bowing to him. What pisses me off is that CNN and the other haters treat all of us, not only the president, all of us like crap. No respect, nothing. They call for violence against Republicans and you. And then ends with a smiley face and a kiss. Right. Well, here's a little clip of Bernie on the Fox Town Hall after they tried to screw him up on health care. Uh, I want to ask the audience a question, if you could raise your hand here. A show of hands of how many people get their insurance from work, private insurance, right now? How many get it from It's about two-thirds insurance? of the audience raising okay. their hands. Now, of those, how many are willing to transition to what the senator says, a government-run system? That's actually more than two-thirds of the audience. Uh, 
and they're applauding, right? Yeah, sign me up. And you could see Brett Bear and Martha McCallum sitting there going, holy cow, you know, this is, this is not good. This is really not good. Bernie, it was just incredible. And, and as I've said, I'm not endorsing anybody in the race right now. We've got some really great candidates. But there's a reason why Bernie is way out ahead, and it's that he's speaking from his heart. He's telling his truth. You may disagree with it, but he's telling his truth. There was an interesting piece, and I think it was the New York Times, it might have been the Washington Post, about how David Brock, he used to be a right-wing hitman, now he's a left-wing hitman, and he and a bunch of other very, very high-profile, very powerful Democrats got together to figure out what to do about, quote, the Bernie problem, right? How do we keep Bernie from being the nominee? They've convinced themselves that if Bernie is the nominee, that the election is going to go the same way it did with George McGovern, because George McGovern was too liberal, you know, and really that had nothing to do with it. George McGovern was a terrible candidate. He had good opinions. He did not know how to deal with Richard Nixon. Bernie knows how to deal with Donald Trump and, and pretty much anybody else. I mean, don't forget, you know, Bernie won West Virginia, Bernie won Michigan, Bernie won Wisconsin, Bernie won 23 states and in some cases walked away with it. And I'm convinced that anybody with Bernie's message and the willingness to speak the truth the way Bernie does, and in my mind, that includes, at the very least, Elizabeth Warren, and hopefully a number of other candidates. We're still waiting on many of them to get their entire, you know, the whole spectrum of their agenda laid out. But I think that any genuine progressive in this cycle will win, period and has a much better chance of winning than some, you know, quote, moderate. But we'll see. I will vote for whoever Democrats decide. And, that's, and, and again, it's not the party deciding. It's you and me. There's primaries coming. The debates start in about 10 weeks, right? It's coming. And it's going to get interesting and exciting. I'm really looking forward to this. Larry in Lonadel, Missouri. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? Well, how you doing, Mr. Hartman? It's the first time seeing your program, and I think you're outstanding. Thank you. You remind me, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Mr. Rogers, yeah, it's the sweater vest. It's, I finally discovered that I had been buying mediums all my life, and they never fit, and so I tried a large, and gee, they fit. Anyhow, back to you, Larry. Word well. My problem is, is electoral college. Mm-hmm. Under that system, me as a Missourian, my vote is only worth 11% of a man's vote. I think the Electoral College has outgrown its usage, and we should go back to one man, one vote. I agree. And if we're the majority, I mean, you know, go figure. Yep, I absolutely agree. People say we've had two elections decided by the Electoral College in the recent past where a Republican beat a Democrat, you know, George W. Bush losing to Al Gore by 500,000 votes and Donald Trump losing to Hillary Clinton by 3 million votes. But in 2004, George Bush also lost to John Kerry in the Electoral College. It was only a quarter million votes. It was a couple hundred thousand. But so we've had actually three elections that had there not been an Electoral College, we would have had a Democrat as president rather than a Republican, which means that had we not had the Electoral College, right now there would be seven Democratic appointees on the Supreme Court, which has a lot to do with why the Republicans are willing to lie, cheat, and steal to make this all happen. And spot on, Larry. And the Electoral College was put into place in part to help elect presidents, because it only deals with the presidency, to help elect presidents who would represent the interests of the slave states. And that's why out of the first eight presidents that we had, seven of them were southern white slave owners. 
So this should not be rocket science. And all we need is a couple more states to sign on to the compact, the fairvote.org compact, where they pledge to give their electoral votes to whoever wins the majority vote in the United States. And that's what we need to be doing, Larry. Correct. And the Electoral College is actually made up of all the uh, Congress representatives and the uh, Senator representatives. Well, it's not made up of them. They each, the number of electors is based on the number of representatives. But they were very careful to make sure that the electors weren't, quote, beholden to anybody. There was a little bit of nobility in the creation of the Electoral College. They wanted to try to insulate the president from the political process in a way that would mean that he wouldn't be easily bought off. And so the electors, who can vote any way they want at the end of the day, were supposed to be like this council of wise elders, you know, who would help make a decision back in the day when, you know, it took days, weeks in some cases for news to travel or for even votes to be communicated, that this would be the way to do it. But, you know, like you say, Larry, it's a waste of time. It's gone. It needs to die. It needs to go away. Correct. It's a dinosaur. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you a lot, Larry. You know, the two ways to get rid of the Electoral College, number one, amend the Constitution because it's in the Constitution. Amend the Constitution to take it out which, by the way, failed by one vote back in the 1970s in Congress, in the Senate. In fact, Birch Bayh was the guy who was promoting it, but that's not going to come back. Or number two, this interstate compact, where if states that represent more than half of all the electoral votes say, we will throw all of our electoral votes, regardless of how the people in our state voted, we will throw all our electoral votes to whoever won the majority, then you have effectively eliminated the Electoral College. Tom Harvard here with you. Ivan in Bartlett, Illinois. Hey, Ivan, thanks for listening to Chicago's Progressive Talk. What's on your mind? Hey, Tom, cool. Hey, Bernie brilliantly proved that he is the man on that Fox Town Hall. The only Democrat I want to see on the debate stage with the clown in the White House is Bernie. Great just- show in the history of politics. Bernie will rip Trump apart. As a matter of fact, Coward Trump will probably find a way to cop out and not even debate him. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, he's, he's not showing his tax returns. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he says, no, I'm not going to go to the debates. I'm too busy. I got to go play golf. And I think that there's several other Democrats who could crush him as well. But what Bernie proved on Fox News last night was that, there, there, that we do have Democrats who can stand up to the right wing talking points and just basically explode every single one of them. Bernie started the blue wave that crushed the teabaggers in 2018. And now we all need to grab our surfboards and ride that blue wave with Bernie and crush the anti-science corporate-owned GOP in 2020. There you go. Yep. Greedy old politicians, the GOP. Thank you, Ivan. Spot on. Sandy in Everett, Washington. Hey, Sandy, what's on your mind today? I'm just calling because I was already on, but I wanted to say something about the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. I find it appalling, and at one time Trump didn't like it. Now he likes it. Of course, it benefited him. Right. But in my view, the Electoral College should be seen as nothing more than purging votes, because with the Electoral College, millions of votes are wiped out, and the popular vote doesn't count. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's uh, you could call it a purge. You could call it a, uh, a set aside. You could call it a, a you know a election fraud or or election fudging, um, whatever it is. I mean, you know, it originally was put into place in part 
to cement the strength of the southern states, the slave states, and it did. And it's why, you know, uh, seven out of the first eight presidents we had were, were you know, were people who owned other people. And, uh, you know, it's just like that's, that was, exactly. that's what happened. And people, people are trying to support this, and if they would look at it as a purge of their vote, they're losing their vote, yeah. I think it would help. Yeah, I agree. Well said, Sandy. Thank you very much. George in Portland. Hey, George, what's up? Hi there. Um, hey, after listening to the, your guest, the author, something clicked in my mind. Is it possible that Bob Mueller was a plant all along? And, uh, you know, we're hearing what... Well, he was a Republican all along. He was. And Rod Rosenstein was a Republican. We heard that a lot. And we heard he was a Republican, um, and yet, you know, Trump is afraid of him. But maybe Trump wasn't afraid of him. Maybe Trump, maybe he was part of the theater. I doubt it. I, I, you know, I think if that was the case, that Bob Barr, Bill Barr would not have felt the need to, to cover it up. Uh, Trump wouldn't, the, wouldn't have felt the need to hire a bunch of lawyers to try to prevent this thing ever from seeing the day, light of day, just like with his tax returns. If there was nothing there that wasn't hugely embarrassing or humiliating, Trump would be waving the tax returns in our faces saying, see, I really am a billionaire. I think the tax returns are going to prove that he's broke. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, George. Good to hear from you. Tim in Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up? Yeah, something's being overlooked. I mean, and Bernie deserves all the credit he should get too with the the, uh, the town hall they had. But Mike Buttigieg, he was on the Rachel Maddow show last night. Yeah, I saw. Did you saw that? What an amazing young man he is. Ivy League education, Rhodes Scholar, vet. I mean, give me a break, you know. Yeah. The only the only only problem we have here with that Republican hierarchy in Fox News and the NRA is that guns, gods, and gay routine. You know, they're going to go over. But an, I think an ideal combination for the youth of this country and the senior citizens would be a Bernie Buttigieg ticket. You've heard it from me. Yeah. I think that, that would be a remarkable ticket that actually could get something done in this country for the, the millennials who won't go out and vote. You know? I, I agree. And Buttigieg, it's going to be real interesting to see how, the, how all this shakes out, because there's all these different levels of identity politics you know, being played out. You've got people of color. You've got a Hispanic. You've got a, you know African American, a gay guy. You know you've you've got. We have so much diversity in the Democratic presidential field right now. You know it's a it's a really. Uh, isn't that isn't that what the country was built on? <laughs> well, in, in in some ways, yeah. I mean, you, you could you could argue in some ways that the country well, was I built on white supremacy that. as well too. But yeah, absolutely. But I think that the anti-gay sentiment is largely that's a, that's largely a, a, a reservoir of hate that is now you know largely centered in the republican party i, I oh, there's I, no question about I, it you, you know. know yeah and they're going to continue to use that and know? and even the republican party you know there's chinks in that armor i mean dick cheney came out had pretty much had to you know his daughter came out as gay daughter, yeah. yeah i mean it's like the, you know it, it, it happens in every family it's it's a you know you could argue that there should be more interracial marriages that would produce the you same, the same consequence. tim thanks for the call Hey, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. One of our sponsors is the X Chair. And I got to tell you, they've got this new thing, Dynamic Variable Lumbar Support. They call it DVL. The X Chair's DVL is really designed to adjust for you. I mean, you know, the average chair, maybe it goes up and down, right? This thing really is totally customizable. Whether you're 5'2 and 110 pounds or 6'4 and 250, the X Chair actually will adapt itself to you. And now with the introduction of the X Basic model, there's an X chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of the X chair's new financing option to pay as little as 30 bucks a month to so take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. 
And X-Chair is also on sale now for $100 off. So just go to xchairtom, T-H-O-M, xchairtom.com, xchairtom, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. And if you use the code XWHEELS over at xchairtom.com now, you'll also receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. That's xchairtom, T-H-O-M, xchairtom.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Tom Hartman here with you and Rich in Cedar Woolley, Washington. Hey, Rich, what's on your mind today? There's nothing else. Trump is a master marketer. And back in uh, during the campaign in 2016, once Bernie was out of the race, Trump picked up all of uh, Bernie's populist talking points. Yeah, he did. He, he, I'm going to give, everybody's going to get health care and it's going to be better than Obamacare and it's going to cost less. We're going to, we're going to raise taxes on rich people. I'm going to take a beating and, and we're going to cut taxes on working people. We're going to bring jobs back from China. I mean, these are all the things that Bernie campaigned on. Now, once I see the real deal, even on Fox last night, they stand up and cheer. They're like, that's what we voted for when we voted for Trump. Right. But he's not delivering. In yep. fact, he's going the opposite direction. Yep. Yep. And I, th- and I think that they're starting to figure that out, which is like really a good thing. Rich, thanks a lot. Michael in Napa, California. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Hey, so, uh, you know, it's like as a lifelong Democrat, I say that regarding Bernie, I say, you know, his heart's in the right place. But I really struggle with the fact that he's not a Democrat and he caucuses with them. But if he really... You know, was and, and frankly, a lot of stuff that he says is basically old school Democratic dogma. It's pre ninety two Democratic dogma, yeah. Yes, exactly. Pre, what's the you know neo? Yeah, it's pre Bill Clinton. Like, it's he's he's right. he's taking the positions, frankly, that that Lyndon Johnson took, with the exception of the whole Vietnam War thing. Exactly. P- pretty pretty much. I don't think he pitches the healthcare thing strong enough. And, and but why does he have it just he needs to be a Democrat. OK, yeah. because I, I think that not being one, truly being one harms the party largely. Why not just say, you know what, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it loud and proud. I'm a Democrat. I really always have been like Reagan used to say the under the Democratic Party. I didn't leave them. They left me mm-hmm. okay, and really make that. You know, like what, uh, who was the guy that said he represented the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party? There was uh, one candidate, Howard Dean. That was his big stick. But it just, I struggled with it. because I get get what you're saying, Michael. And and I think that there are a lot of uh, Democrats, and I put myself in that category, who would love to see Bernie. You know, Bernie kind of became a Democrat uh, when he was running in the primary against Hillary in 2015 and early 2016, and then went back to being an independent. And I wished he had kept the D after his name. But he's doing that for his own reasons. And I think that the stuff that's coming out right now about the Center for American Progress acting basically as oppo research against Bernie, and presumably, therefore, on behalf of Joe Biden in this primary, and you know, now this this article in the New York Times about uh, David Brock and a bunch of wealthy Democrats, you know, got together in New York last week to figure out how to take down Bernie, you know, how to deal with the Bernie problem in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party has not treated Bernie, frankly, in my opinion, with the respect or deference that that he has earned. And uh, I don't, you know, I'm not inside his head. I haven't had this conversation with Bernie in probably five years about why he doesn't become a Democrat as opposed to simply caucusing with them. 
But I suspect all those things have something to do with it. But this is a decision that Democrats have to make. Can you vote for a guy uh, in the primary and in the general election who is not wholeheartedly, full-throatedly part of your party? Probably the one negative on Bernie right now that, that I can identify. Michael, thank you for the call. Christine in Camas, Washington. Hey, Christine, what's up? Yeah, I, just exactly what you were just talking about. I'm so concerned with the quote-unquote establishment Democratic Party not getting behind Bernie and doing what they did in 2016. He's clearly the person that can beat Trump. But yet the Democrats insist on snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. Again and again. It's so frustrating. Well, the Democratic Party is going through a transition right now, much as the Republican Party did back 10, 15 years ago. The Republican Party went from being hard right to being basically fascists. And the Democratic Party used to be the party of FDR and the party of LBJ and the party of social democracy, basically. And in 92, the Democratic Party became what the old Republican Party was, which was, you know, the party of kind of business and, and, and growth and all that kind of stuff, and left behind progressive ideals. And America wanted more. I mean, Bill Clinton actually campaigned as a progressive. Read his new covenant speech sometime. Just, you know, look it up and read it. It's like FDR. I mean, read Barack Obama's stump speeches in early 2008. It's like FDR, but they didn't quite govern that way. And you can, you know, there's a whole variety of reasons. I I don't want to personalize this. Some of the reasons have to do with the composition of Congress. Some of them have to do with how you could raise money back, back in the Clinton days. There are reasons. But the fact of the matter is that Americans are, are back with FDR. They want an FDR Democratic Party. And there's a bunch of people in the Democratic Party who are not uh, down with FDR or with Lyndon Johnson, who, who, you know, who, who want to be able to continue taking big bucks from the pharmaceutical industry or the banking industry. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge. But the Democratic Party is going to get through this. And this primary is going to be a big piece of that process. So, Christine, all I we can do so. is just, you know, just hang on for the ride and, and, and insert ourselves in as many places as possible. You, you live in Camas, Washington. You know, show up at the local Democratic Party. Be part of the discussions. Be part of the debates. I do. You do. Good on you. Good on you. Christine, I need to move along, but thank you for the call. Mary Ellen in St. Augustine, Florida. Hey, Mary Ellen, what's up? Hi, Tom. How are you? Nice to talk to you. Long-time fan of your program and long-time Bernie supporter. Thank you. What's up? wanted to talk about Bernie's town hall last night. You um, saw it on Fox? I did. I watched it. I taped it. I watched it again. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he walked into the lion's den there, and then he slayed. Yeah. I think he, he showed himself uh, to be worthy of the office to a whole new audience, and then I'd like to see what comes of that. Uh, what I wanted to touch on a couple things first was that the Fox host kept pushing how great the economy was doing. Right. And uh, I think maybe Bernie missed an opportunity to point something out there, because how great could our economy be doing if when the government shut down this year for one month, government workers during that month, and we're talking about government workers here, not McDonald's or Walmart workers, Government workers had to resort to things like food banks. They weren't making their bills. They weren't making their rents and utilities. Right. So how good could our economy be doing, really, if that was the case? And, and, and who was it doing 
so much good for. It's people who work for the government. Yeah, although this is something bigger than people. Donald Trump. You can't just pin that on Donald Trump. What you're looking at, Mary Ellen, Certainly is not. Reaganomics. I mean, the, back in the 1960s, one of the definitions of middle class was somebody who's able to live for six months without any income. That's no right. longer a definition of middle class. Right. But uh, they're, they're holding up the economy as the be-all, end-all to, well, you know, how could you down Trump when the economy is doing so great? How can you say the economy is doing great if people who work for our government can't go a couple weeks without a paycheck yeah. and still make ends meet as far as putting food on the table for their family? And I think when you point that out, that a lot of people who are middle class and lower middle class can identify with that and say, yeah, maybe the economy is doing great because... Yeah, it would, have been a, it would have been a great point to make. Um, you know, there's, there were a lot of points that Bernie could have made last night, but the ones that he did make were pretty spot on. We're, we're yeah. fantastic. Yeah. We're Mary fantastic. Ellen, I'm, 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 thank you for the call. Colleen in Manorville, New York. Hey, Colleen, what's up? Yes, hi. Um, you know, it's funny. I was in my car... And um, I had a radio station on, and it was kind of well-balanced. I wouldn't say it was pro or con for either side. But when I got out of the car and I got back in, it was a different radio show, different hosts. Mm -hmm. And they were bashing Representative Omar, but in such a nonspecific, subtle way that it was they weren't really saying anything that was genuinely... Um, specific. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they kept pointing to the fact that, well, how can we put down Representative Omar um, when um, she hasn't, you know, she may be anti-American, but we have to let her do that. And look at what the Democrats are doing to the Republicans. And then they made some allusions to how Representative Pelosi has no uh, real power. And right. that she's, you know, she's been gutted by the, by the fact that the Mueller report hasn't been released. And, I, I, you know, it was just so nonspecific. And I said, you know, if I didn't listen to you and some other shows on free speech, I would have probably bought into it. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I said, this is so frustrating. And this is it all really they have to sell, by the way, is, is, is basically fear and hate. Yes, and I wanted to end with saying I know that this would never get on anybody's car, but I think a, a good uh, bumper sticker would be the GOP believes in greed, not need. Yeah, there you go. Uh, greedy old people, GOP. Uh, yeah, or greedy old politicians. Um, <laughs> spot on, greed, not need. Colleen, thank you for that, and thanks for sharing your experience with us. It's, uh, you know, the right-wing slander of Representative Omar is going to get worse. This is something that Republicans and Donald Trump are going to be campaigning on because they have nothing else. They have no economic agenda. They have no health care agenda. They have no infrastructure agenda. They just have hate. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. This is all the greedy old patriarchs have is hate and fear. I'll throw in some fear, right? Well, hate and fear are kind of two sides of the same thing. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow.
You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 